we have our ears to the ground. We're in a lot of the geeky forums and and Reddit and places, and we're constantly monitoring three or four times a day, looking for any leaks and information. And, and yeah, we have out. a couple off-the-record sources and stuff. So we, so we kind of know what's going on in the, the mobile industry pretty well. Hey, this is Heath Paget, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 104. Today's a big day in the Paget RV. This morning, Alyssa released her very first book on Amazon called A Beginner's Guide to Living in an RV. Everything I wish I knew before full-time RVing across America. And for the very first 48 hours, this book is available on Amazon. You can get it for free. So if you're listening to this uh, during the first 48 hours that this podcast is live on November 14th or November 15th, you can go get it for free. Or if you wait until after that, it'll be $2.99 on Amazon. If you're just now transitioning or still dreaming about the RV life, this book answers all of the most common questions we receive on a daily basis, such as how to pick the right RV, what to do for health insurance, how do you find community on the road, and so much more. Go to heathandalyssa.com forward slash guide to check out a beginner's guide to living in an RV. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Chris and Cherie from Technomadia. I first interviewed Chris and Cherie back on episode nine of the podcast. Since then, they now have two nomadic homes. In the winter, they roam by land in a 1961 vintage bus conversion. And in the warmer months, they slowly cruise by motor yacht exploring the Great Loop. A few things that we talk about in today's episode. What does the transition look like from going from RV to boat? Chris and Tree's experience escaping the massive hurricane that devastated the Florida Keys and all of the things that have changed since we talked to them the first time as it pertains to staying connected while on the road, such as where can you now find the best mobile internet plans, how to boost your cell signal, and so much more. I asked Chris and Tree to come back on the podcast because one, I love talking to them. They're going to be speakers and workshop hosts at our upcoming RV Entrepreneur Summit. And there's so much in flux when it comes to mobile internet. And I know that's really important for us and everybody who listens to this podcast if you're out on the road. And so that was why I wanted to bring them back on this episode because there's so much that changes on a year-to-year basis. Mobile internet never stays the same because new plans are coming out, new plans are going away. And to stay connected, you really have to be on top of this stuff. Before diving into today's episode, I want to thank today's sponsor, WeBoost, and the new 4GX RV cell phone booster. This cell phone booster is something I wish we would have picked up the day we bought our RV because I can't tell you how many times over the past three years we were in truly beautiful places outside of national or state parks, but we had to leave early because there was only one to two bars of Verizon and we couldn't get any work done or it wasn't fast enough to record a podcast over Skype, which is kind of a big deal. The 4GX RV cell booster can take that signal, multiply it up to 32x, and then rebroadcast it throughout the entire RV to give us a significant boost in internet speed. This means more time in beautiful places and faster internet wherever we go. WeBoost's new cell phone booster is made specifically for RVs, and if you want to receive a 10% discount, you can reach out and email me directly, heath at campgroundbooking.com, and I will hook you up with that discount code. Go to weboost.com to learn more about their cell phone boosters. All right, let's get into today's show with Chris and Cherie. You guys are living the dream. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Well, RV parks are getting way too crowded, so we figured we had to you know, move into a boat. Yeah, there's a little bit more uh, water covering the earth, so you should have a little bit more space to kind of spread out. Like if you feel claustrophobic in a boat, that's really, it seems like a personal problem, right? Well, it depends on the boat. Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's, there's really some small boats out there, but I guess I meant like other people wise, like you can get oh. your own space. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, you can definitely at anchor. It's just like boondocking. But in a marina, it's like the one we're in is you're actually closer to your neighbors in a marina than you are in most RV parks. And mm. and there's one big difference with a boat is when you're anchored out, you can't go for a walk. And so that's actually a huge mm. difference from from being in an RV is you you've got your island, but in a lot of places, all you there's nothing else you can do. You cannot get off other than hop in a dinghy. And yeah, I guess that's a good point. What does exercise look like on the boat? Well, that's one reason we went with a larger boat. So we went with a 47-foot motor yacht. And our RV, by comparison, is 35 feet with Mm. no slides. So we've got, I think, at least triple the amount of floor space in boat, which is really important when we're at anchor because this is our little floating island. Yeah. So, you know, we walk up and down. we got four flights of stairs. So we're going up and down the stairs. We're... Yeah. doing doing some yoga on the deck and things like that and then we and, do try to find places to go ashore with the dinghy and, and when walk. the conditions are right we can swim too which is pretty pretty fun oh uh, yeah totally so i think we talked I, it was like last april 2016 when we last time we talked on the podcast and you guys were still i think in the dreaming phase like y'all hadn't yet pulled the trigger on the boat so what did that progression of events look like to land you guys on the boat well, I guess the dreaming phase started for us 11 years ago because we actually talked about getting a boat on our first date. <laughs> so way, ba- way back when you know, we were just getting started in the RV, we were already plotting this as a, a future adventure for us. But this time last you know, yeah. that when we talked to you last time, I think we were starting to line up our travel plans to start researching boats. Mm. Right. So we went up to the northeast. We were up in Maine and Connecticut and those areas, like kind of like where you were this uh, past summer. And about September, after doing a lot of our own research, we actually reached out to a broker and said, you know, expressed our intentions that by spring 2017, we would love to be in our boat and starting to learn how to you know, make it go, make it go, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> and, and start pursuing the American Great Loop. And uh, so we started as we came down to Florida for the winter, uh, we worked with our brokerage to uh look at boats as we headed down the coast and start learning and really triangulating on what we wanted in our boat. No, that's exciting. I'm excited to watch y'all do the Great Loop because I just like, so where exactly, like what rivers will you kind of follow through the U.S.? Like what will that kind of look like? It's a pretty amazing route. So you go up the East Coast of the U.S. uh, all through the intercoastal waterways and such. Um, so a lot of cool cities, a lot of cool places to explore, including you can get to downtown D.C. and downtown New York, places that are really hard to get wow. in an RV. Yeah. Up the Hudson River and through the Erie Canal, and then you connect to the Canadian. basically got access to all the Canadian canals and waterways. So there's a lot to explore up in Canada. Do the Great Lakes. You, know, you can down. spend as much time as you want there and then uh, come on down through Chicago, right through downtown. Um, and uh, down the Illinois River, down the little bit of the Mississippi, turn up the Ohio, down the Tennessee River, or actually it's up the Tennessee River and into the Ten Tom Waterway that then comes out in Mobile, Alabama, and then you're back down to Florida and uh, can repeat, and that's why it's a loop. Man, that is going to be awesome. I mean, it seems like after you guys having gone through all of the elements that you've had to go through right now in the Keys area, that being on the Great Loop, I would imagine that like it's not going to be – I mean, obviously, there's going to be bad weather at certain points, no matter where you are. But to me, that's the big fear I would have with jumping on a boat is like being a little bit more exposed to the elements. But after facing kind of what you guys have faced in the Keys, it seems like I don't want I'm not going to jinx anything and say it'll be smooth sailing. (laughs) But hopefully the weather, you know, will be more cooperative, you know, 
on the route. It should be. So so loopers typically follow the loop by the season. So they are not like us and do not do hurricane season in Florida. Um, so most of the loopers, while we were riding out the hurricane season down south, they were up in Canada, Canada, and, and the Great Lakes, down and stuff in, like that. So Tennessee, if you, Chattanooga. If you and we intend to get onto it seasonally, it just we found our boat in Florida in springtime, which is not great timing for boating newbies to try to you know get yep. up the coast two thousand yeah. miles. <laughs> mm, right. Totally. And, so. and with with a boat, you are so much more in tune with the weather, no matter where you go, than than with an RV. So you it's you know, it's always going to be a concern. You're always watching the weather. You never push it if the weather's looking bad it's like okay I mean, you stay here you stay where you're at for a couple extra days but the, when you're doing the loop other than a, a few very rare parts you're basically inside of land or in enclosed waterways the entire time so there's not a lot of major exposed water and that's one thing that really appealed to us as boating newbies and people who really wanted to stay connected with our U.S. roots. You know, our parents are still healthy and we really want to be nearby them and have them aboard and cruise with us and uh, we wanted to still keep up with mobile internet uh, yeah. in yeah. the U.S. with our RVing community. So really, the Great Loop is RVing on water, just taking it up a notch and challenge. Exactly. I mean, you can still host meetups with other RVers, you know, totally easy. I mean, that's a little bit more challenging once you're on the middle of the ocean. Well, yeah, and, and there are quite a few campgrounds that are combo campground RV parks. As we, we spent some of last year before we bought the boat scoping out along the Great Loop by land, going to some of these places where the uh, you know, RV paths and boat paths cross. It's I did cool. not so, even know that. Yeah, yeah so we awesome. wanted to be able to still keep in touch with our RVing friends and rendezvous with them. So uh, we, it just seems like a great, great timing for us. Yeah. I, I know absolutely nothing about boating. I mean, it's funny to hear you guys talk about loopers and like, the, I know there's this whole language and all of these probably verbs and, and words that you guys would throw out that I have no idea about, but what made you guys decide to go with a motor yacht and is a motor yacht different than a regular yacht? So, so a yacht is typically what you think of like what a millionaire's have, yeah. you know, uh, the really fancy one. Motor yachts is more of the average person. Like an RV. It's okay. a larger, it's it's more yeah. like a class A in the gotcha. RV space. Okay, Whereas totally. a yacht would be more like, like a... Prevo plus. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so that's why you make sure to say motor yacht because if you said, yeah, yeah. if oh. you just left it at yacht... Well, it's also just kind of the sa- the the common abbreviation you use on the radio. So there's sailing vessel and mo- and uh, and motor yacht are kind of the two things oh, that you okay. you know the two types categories of boats. You got sails or you got a motor. So even a big yacht, if they're radio in, they'll say, "Hey, this is the motor yacht." You know, mm-hmm. I've billion billionaire plus. You know, calling in for dockage and stuff like that. But so it's it's sailing vessel, motor yacht are the, right. the two but, categories of recreational boats. Yeah, but our yacht that we purchased <laughs> is right in line price-wise with a mid-range class a motor oh, gotcha. Very cool. it is it yeah. is not out of reach for anyone that is might be considering that sort of rving anyway yeah so. what made you guys decide to go with the motor yacht versus sailing the great loop you've got a lot of bridges and mm-hmm. a lot of narrow waterways so there, a lot of people do the great loop with sailboats but they actually take their masts off and leave them behind or ship them ahead because you know from from Going up the Hudson River until the time you get down to Mobile, Alabama, that the rest of that time you really can't have a mast. Um, you could put one on back on the Great Lakes, but for the most of the route, you can't have a mast because there's bridges. Mm. And so why being in an uncomfortable sailboat that's not doing what a sailboat's meant to do when we can get a boat that's really perfect for the loop? But a lot of people do do sailboats on the yeah. Great Loop, especially those that are doing it quickly in a year and wanting to really 
uh, save on the cost of fuel. Um, for us, we're going to be doing it over probably three or five years and then moving back into the RV in the and, winters when mm -hmm. it gets cold up north, because apparently there's like snow and ice up there. I don't know what those <laughs> are, but I'll Heard find out. It, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you don't want to be floating in the Great Lakes in the winter, apparently. Yeah. But, uh, but our goal with this is to take it slow. And um, just like in RVing, um, monthly rates are a lot cheaper than nightly rates at Huge. marinas. And a lot of marinas are in city centers, um, which is really rare to find in really nice RV parks. So what we want to do is find those uh, marinas stay in them and be in walking distance to cool stuff and experience more of an urban lifestyle. Mm. And yeah. then have our RVing focus more on being out in nature and boonies. Boondock desert. We eventually want to get the bus living out in the desert southwest and spend a lot of time out there boondocking and such. And then that'll be our, not in the summer, that'll be our winters out in the desert and then our summers will be on the boat. That'll be awesome. I mean, does a, uh... I was just up in Vancouver uh, hanging out with Peter and John, and that would be an amazing city to park the boat and do some exploring. Oh, my gosh. Definitely not on the, that great loop, but <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and not to mention, you'd have Peter and John. Yeah, so. <laughs> there, there, there's no cross Canada Canal yet, unfortunately. So, you know, getting getting the boat from, from the East Coast to the West Coast is not impossible, but very tricky. <laughs> very tricky, yeah. So... I want to chat a little bit about like you guys had to evacuate and I know it's an incredibly stressful process because y'all basically got everything moved into the boat, started getting adjusted <laughs> to, to, to boat life and then Irma hit. Uh, so kind of walk me through like what is the past couple months looked like for you guys and how is the keys recouping from that? Oh gosh, it's been insane. Because I mean, we just, we spent some time down there, you know, like earlier this year and we fell in love with it. So like the fact that like we were talking about going back down there for our winter and it's just, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It is heartbreaking. So we arrived to Marathon, Florida in mid-August. Yeah, so we had started our looping up in Punta Gorda, Florida. So we'd only about 200 miles into it when and, we got to Marathon. And we'd been watching the weather. We knew that hurricane season was a risk. And we both lived in Florida before, had been through many hurricanes. But so it, that was nothing new. But it had been 10 years since the Keys had a hurricane. So, you know, hey, you know, what are the odds? <laughs> so we get down there and we we found a great little marina uh, in Boot Key Harbor, uh, which is pretty much uh, ground zero for Irma. Mm. And uh, not that we planned it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we're in this great little marina. And uh, and then Irma starts to really triangulate on us. Friday, it was looking like it was going to be just missing us. And we just get like tropical storm force winds. So I find we got a hotel reservation so that we could get to the land and not be on the boat for it. And then Monday morning, we woke up at the 5 a.m. hurricane update and we were beeline on the path right. and it was predicted to be a strong cat four or a full category five hurricane wow. and, coming ashore. And, and there's just like, there was really nowhere to run with the boat. We, it, the, there was a potential for the storm to go up either side of Florida. So we could try and gamble and like outrun a storm. And we're still fairly novices and you know, where would we go? Whereas we had this great Marina and the, then the Marina manager said, Hey, I, he's actually was flying up to pick up his new um, Winnebago, Winnebago <laughs> and he's, he's like, you know, take my truck. If you guys need to evacuate, take my truck, drive it, take it wherever mm -hmm. you need to. You'll be doing me a favor by getting my truck out of the path of the storm. And so we had that as kind of a sure thing evacuation route. And we're like, well, this storm could potentially even hit our bus, which was stored up in Melbourne, Florida. Let's at least make sure we're saving one of our houses. And we, yeah. when we left our boat behind, we thought we were, we might never see it again. We did a full hurricane. I did rapid study on how to secure a boat for a hurricane. And we did a spider web tie. Mm -hmm. We left 14 lines on it. We did as many preps as we could, but we had 36 hours basically right. from decision point to 
load the truck and to getting out of there because they issued mandatory evacuation Wednesday morning. Wow. And, and we knew that we needed to get up to Melbourne, which was a good five, six hour drive, get the bus out of storage and get it on the road and get out of the way. So it was a really hectic week. Yes. Uh, and then, and then uh, when we started to get pictures and reports back that our boat had survived, it was. And so many others had not. We're seeing pictures and just hearing the reports of Bootkey Harbor, where we had been told the advice of like, your boat will has no chance if you leave it in a marina. It'll get pounded to shreds on the dock. Mm. Get it out on a mooring ball. And so we went and tried to get a mooring ball at the, um, you know, where it'd be just tied, you know, floating out on a secure moor mooring, and. You know, we stood in line early in the morning on that Monday or Tuesday Tuesday morning, and they didn't have any mooring balls for our size boat. So we were like, okay, I guess we're doomed. And when we came back, it's, it was two-thirds or almost three-quarters of the boats in the mooring field were sunk or lost or severely damaged, whereas our marina, our every boat in our marina just got minor damage. Minor damage. Wow. The marina right across from us, half the boat sunk. And so our view out our front window was like sunk boat, sunk boat, sunk boat. And on our side windows, oh because gosh. what happened in the mooring field is some of the anchored boats on the side broke loose during the storm and just caused a debris field that just kept yeah. washing They were like little the whole field. bowling balls or bulldozers going back and forth. And it, I guess like a, a catamari just keep building up and up and up until there was just more and more debris going back and forth with boats piled on top of each other. And you know, really tragic for the people who tried to ride out the storm on their boats because oh that's oh yeah. it was it was yeah. crazy. So you had the mooring field, and there were over 200 boats sunk or destroyed right around us there in Buki Harbor. And I think the count in all of the keys was over 1,500. In Marathon, only 20% of the boats survived, and we're yeah. amongst that. And it <laughs> you is get survivors guilt. The survivors bet, guilt, yeah, intense because we're incredibly fortunate. This is. Why not second direct category four strike? Because she also uh, uh, long before through, we owned her uh, went through uh, Hurricane Charlie back in 2003 with her previous owner in Punta Gorda, and uh, she's either a hurricane magnet, which I'm a little afraid of, <laughs> <laughs> or a very resilient boat. Um, and I'm hoping for that second one. Yeah, <laughs> but, me too. Uh, Man, that's it's insane. I'm glad the boat is okay and just minor damage. I mean, I talked to a lot of our viewers. I'm sure you guys, I know you all have too, that it's like, I feel like people a lot of times they have one of two experiences. They just have this amazing, blissful, you know, like transition <laughs> to RV life and it's really good. Or, you know, I also know people on the complete opposite spectrum of that, which is like they move into an RV and like shit goes wrong for like the entire first year. Like it's just terrible. Like, and everything's breaking so I'm glad that you guys made it through this and it didn't completely like ruin your trajectory of traveling and your dream of the great loop. Yeah. Because we didn't, it didn't sink. It's it's just basically, we we've always tried to view even through our RV adventures that things don't break. They just jump to the top of the upgrade list. <laughs> and, and so, so with the boat, it's like, okay, we've got some damage and some repairs, but this is just encouraging us to get to the boatyard and start tackling our upgrades. So, but it could have gone a lot. It could have gone worse. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah. marathon itself, I know you were down there. Yeah, you know, we're right across the street from the Turtle Hospital, which I know is mm. one of your favorites as well. Yeah. And the dolphin, the Dolphin Research Center, and some of those amazing places. They all did well. Good. But, uh, but uh, marathon itself was kind of the upper end of the hardest hit area. And then you go down to Cujo Key and Big, Big Pine, Pine Key, Key yeah. was the epicenter of it. And we did a lot of volunteer work down in Big Pine Key at the Disaster Recovery Center. 
and talking with people and, you know, helping with the cleanup efforts. Yeah. And it's, it is devastating. Yeah. Um, it's, I know it's out of the news by now, but the destruction down there is real and it will impact it for yeah. quite a long time. And, and what, what the Keys is really going to lose is all the affordable housing. A lot of the affordable housing was, was old trailers and stuff. And that's the stuff that was most destroyed. The houses that were built to modern code, which are mostly vacation houses or, you know, um, retiree residences. Mm. They did pretty well, you know. Things with metal roofs and hurricane shutters did really well, but the affordable housing is decimated. And where are all the workers who have all the service industry jobs in the Keys mm-hmm. are com- completely yeah. out of out of places? To and live. I'm sure there wasn't that many places affordable in the Keys as it was. No, no, it wasn't. It's become a real problem down in the Keys, and they're already bussing in workforce from Homestead of Miami every single day to work yeah. in the resorts and the tourist attractions during the season. And it's just going to get worse down there, I think, especially after the hurricane, because there are people that are still homeless to this day. And we're two months now past since Irma struck that are still homeless. They can't go back to their houses. They don't have roofs. They're covered in mold. They don't have electricity in some places. And quite a few of the people who had boats. I mean, their boats were homes. These weren't just like recreational boats. A lot of these, every boat in the harbor was a liverboard boat. And so all those ones that sunk, that was somebody's house that has been just completely Mm -hmm. destroyed. Yeah. And when we left um, last week, they had just the the field behind our marina. They had just opened up to uh, be where they're going to be putting the boats as a staging area. That they're because they've got big cranes and barges that are pulling them all up out of the mangroves and off the seafloor. And we were watching them come up every single day, and it's just heartbreaking. Oh man! Well, I'm glad that you guys made it, and it's cool that y'all are getting to help out the keys. Uh, we'll transition to a little bit of happier stuff. <laughs> um, so I want to I want to talk about just internet uh, on the road because we, I I know this is really y'all's niche. Y'all run the mobile RV internet resource. I'm sorry. What's name the URL again? Mobile RV. <laughs> the, the URL is rvmobileinternet.com. That's very close. So you guys have been doing this a long time, and we had a little bit of conversation around this uh, last time that we chatted, but there's been so many changes since last year around April. I know it was either shortly right after we talked, I finally caved in, you know, I got the Verizon Unlimited Jetpack um, based off the y'all's contact that that y'all provided in there, and it was one of the best decisions we ever made. (laughs) Like going, it's kind of funny because we looked at how much we made decisions uh, before that, and it was like, oh, they don't have internet there. Like we can't go or we're going to a coffee shop or whatever. So having that unlimited Verizon plan was like some of the best times ever. I reminisce on it. Uh, (laughs) So we don't have any more, but we're, we're, I'm kind of just wondering, like, what are some of the big updates uh, from the past year and how internet has changed? Because I know that's a big question people have before they jump into it. Okay, okay. So how long is this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So much changes. Um, When we took on this role four years ago of running the Resource Center and making that our full-time career, because before we were software developers working on the road and tech advisors and strategy advisors. And this is just one of the most common questions that we fielded on our personal blog that um, we decided to try a go at making this our full-time career of keeping on top of the industry. And I don't think either of us anticipated how much effort it was going to be no, we, to we, stay on top of it. For, for a lot of our viewers, it is the most important thing is how am I going to stay connected, particularly for the, the entrepreneur audience, the people who are working on the road. Uh, that is their lifeblood more so than electricity and water. It is. I think know. electricity is pretty important for those computers too. Yeah, they got batteries. They can last a while. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh... But it is. It the mobile internet landscape. It seems it goes through a total change about every three months. <laughs> we see. 
the plans come and go, new equipment come online. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've gone to where we're keeping kind of top pick data plans yeah. and we're having to update them quite often. And yeah. just as of Friday, there was an unlimited data plan on AT&T that allowed full mobile hotspot use that you could walk into an AT&T store and get. Without hoops. Without any hoops. You can just mm-hmm. go and activate it for $95 a month on a, a mobile hotspot device like the United Explorer or the brand new uh, Netgear Nighthawk, Nighthawk, which by the time this podcast is live or someone is mm. listening to it, may no longer be there. Mm. Um, <laughs> it was in jeopardy of going away last Friday. And looks like you can still sign up for today, but AT&T is definitely making right. adjustments to how they're doing it. So, so there's always these like little windows of opportunities to, to get in on a great plan while the carriers, before they've caught on of like they're giving away something. They, they, they're um, It's too good to be true. And so these mm. little too good true windows come up and we try to steer people like go get this plan now because odds are you'll be grandfathered in and you will have unlimited data and we try to you know get get your unlimited verizon get your unlimited at&t get some unlimited t-mobile and start building all this redundancy is the ultimate way to stay connected absolutely yeah I think we were paying like 140 a month for our Verizon last year. And then when it went away, we had a chance to re-up it for like 180. And we we're like, oh, that's that's a lot. I know it's our, our lifeblood. <laughs> but we decided to, to shell out for the AT&T Unlimited and through the same guy. And I think we, per y'all's recommendation, we went with like the nicer Unite or whichever one you guys said versus doing just the Mobley. Uh, and it's worked great. And paired awesome. that with our, with our cell booster, our 4GX RV cell booster, you know, we've been really happy with our cell signal, especially on the East Coast coast like we really haven't needed it and then we uh, went through Verizon and got the Verizon um, unlimited plan and it, it has worked well at times but also at times I feel like I've been throttled to a crazy crazy extent oh yes absolutely the brand new Verizon unlimited data plans that they rolled out at the beginning of the year it seems like that should be had... unlimited plans right yeah, like... oh, yeah, oh yeah we always put the quotes around the word unlimited now these days yes. but the new Verizon plans which they now call beyond unlimited actually has a 15 gigabyte high-speed mobile hotspot cap that applies to both their smartphones and their jetpack devices, which means once you use 15 gigabytes per line, you are throttled back to 600 kilobits per second, which is pretty extreme throttling. Yeah, for the it remainder is, of the month. Mm-hmm. For us mobile travelers, it is nothing. It's a great smartphone plan. It's great for when you're out and about and want to post Instagram photos or you want to do video streaming on your device because it is unlimited when you're doing anything on your your smartphone but if you're using mobile hotspot which is how us um, travelers that's how we get our laptops online that might be how we stream our video that 15 gigabytes goes really, really, really quickly fast. i mean for a lot of people that's maybe two or three days worth of usage yeah and it was one of those things like we were in downtown boston like a very urban area and i guess i had hit that cap and i couldn't even load uh, Instagram. I couldn't even load social media or anything on my phone. Like that's how slow it was. And I'm like, I know I'm in a very populated area. There's got to be cell yes. towers around Boston. <laughs> so whenever people are talking to you guys and uh, there, and I know that you can't, we can't go into everything, but like if someone's just transitioning into RVing, like what are some of the basic advice that you're giving people a lot as far as how to just prepare and, um, you know, get prepped for finding uh, a good internet plan? First is redundancy, Yes, is have at least two carriers on board. It's okay to have one as your primary data, but have something as a backup because you know you could be somewhere and you, your plan might be a subject to network management and be throttled, or the tower might be down, mm-hmm. or you might not have a strong enough signal. Um, being able to fall back to a different carrier or to a different plan can make all the difference in keeping you online insane. Um, 
And we actually carry three carriers with us. Well, we actually oh, we have, have four. All, we I, have I don't count Sprint we, as a carrier. We don't. But, <laughs> um, but, Sprint, yeah. Sprint has a really, if you're staying to urban areas, Sprint has some great plans. But if you're really traveling around the country, uh, currently Verizon and AT&T are still the most nationwide coverage. Although T-Mobile is, up and coming. is something to watch because they just bought a whole bunch of uh, 600 megahertz spectrum which is going to really increase their coverage map, especially out in the rural. But it's going to take them a good year before that's even something that us RVers will be looking towards. Yeah. So keeping on top of it, grabbing the plans when you can, and yeah. definitely signal enhancing. Because um, um, your device alone is not going to do it. Whether you're going with a booster, the WeBoost 4GX is also our top pick booster. Mm -hmm. um, but, but also little direct, basic antennas directly work wonderfully. Plugged, in, plugged in antennas into a mobile hotspot device can outperform a booster almost in most situations. Really? And, oh, yeah. and that's, that's a $29 antenna versus a $600 booster. It's definitely a good place to start before you bring out the big guns. Um, so so yeah, we, we actually, one of the things we advise a lot of people is people get really excited. They want to dive in and spend a lot of money right out, out the gate. And a lot of times when we advise people, is we talk them back from the ledge and say, you don't need to go that far that fast. Try this, try this, make sure you got the right, the right plans that will give you the data you need. And then, you know, as you need it, you can amp up with some Wi-Fi extenders and amp up with some cell boosters and stuff. Once you've really gotten a good handle on, on your real needs, not your like, paranoia of like i need to spend as much money to be connected <laughs> yeah, money does not necessarily get you connected um being smart about your setup and keeping it simple something that you can manage because a lot of people they don't want to be a full it staff uh for their rv when they're on the road <laughs> yeah. they just want to turn something on and get online and so the less equipment that you have to fiddle with the less things that you have to troubleshoot when something's not working the more sane you stay on the road. Yeah. Yep. I mean, for us, like we, even when we had Verizon, it was just a jetpack. We turn it on, put it up there. And now the only thing we have on top of that is we turn our AT&T uh, little uh, hotspot on, and then we just put it right next to our internal uh, booster for yep. uh, WeBoost. So if, if I'm, if somebody is kind of listening to this and like, okay, I'm trying to prep for your internet on the road, look at plans across AT&T, Verizon and T-Mobile and mm -hmm. like, how do you go about finding good deals on those plans? Like, do you go straight to the carriers? Or are you guys still recommending like third parties and things like that? It's a mix. It, it, it depends yeah. upon okay. the carrier and the plan. And we do keep a, our, our best cellular data plans in our guide. So if you go to rvmobileinternet.com slash four hyphen carriers, okay. um, that, that one there is our guide to the four carriers. And we always have an updated section on there on what our top pick data plans are for each of the carriers. Right. And that's changing all the time. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's hard to say because have, it's always changing, yeah. right? Yeah. It's right. Always changing. Right. Uh, right now, we, you know, for Verizon, that Beyond Unlimited plan for smartphones is great. But if you really want the unlimited, you still need to go get one of those grandfathered unlimited plans. Mm. And they're still available. Um, I just, if you go the rental method, which is what uh, you and Alyssa had done, yeah, uh, it's just be aware that those rental vendors right. are probably going to be continued to be shut down just by Verizon. Past, just in the past week, Verizon shut down a few more of them. Uh, whereas if you go and you know pay more up front, but you get an unlimited grandfather plan in your own name, Verizon has not made moves against them as long as you keep them in contract. And there are tricks to keep them under contract. And, and you can have unlimited Verizon data for as little as $45 per month. Now, you're going right. to pay $1,000 up front to get it. Or get lucky. Or get lucky from a friend or something like that and have it transferred into your name. But that pays for itself pretty quickly when you look at a tiered Verizon plan. They charge for 100 gigabytes of data 
$720 a month for 100 gigabytes of data directly with Verizon. I did not realize that. I guess I, I may have not understood it the first time because we did go the rental option. So you can buy, you can go to a third party vendor and still buy an unlimited Verizon plan for like a thousand bucks and then yep. have that transferred into your name and Verizon's cool right. with that. Yep. So far, so far yep. now, now last year, those that let their contracts expire and were using more than a hundred gigabytes of data got terminated. They did terminate over 10,000 accounts last year, but we walk our members through number one, getting the plans and keeping those plans in contract for as long as possible, because to date Verizon has not terminated anyone who is in contract. Um, now that could change in the future and we're constantly tracking it. But for the last four years, we've had our Verizon owned unlimited data plan and we only pay $45 a month. And we use hundreds of gigs. It is not subject to network management and no throttling. Right. When you guys think of the breakdown of what you're typically using, uh, for like being on the internet, if you had to think of like a little pie chart, would you say that you're mostly using Verizon or like, what does that breakdown look like? Um, we actually kind of go back and forth between Verizon and AT&T because they both are really, really good, and we have great hotspots on both of them. And I'd say lately it's probably been 50-50. And a uh, little bit of T-Mobile here and there. Right. And we do test sprint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still waiting to. for them to up their game kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, just today yeah. they announced that uh, Sprint is pulling back from uh, merging with T-Mobile. Yeah. So we will they, have to they've continue been, to They've do- been dancing around each other for years, and you know, Sprint is like, no, we're not going to do it. So... Interesting. So if uh, people can go and check out some of those plans for T-Mobile, uh, Verizon, and AT&T on your guide. So if once they get their plans, you recommend them looking at maybe just a small little antenna versus jumping up to something as big as like a cell booster if they're just getting started? Mm-hmm. If you can get your cellular device something that has dual antenna ports, um, using an antenna only because there's something called MIMO. That's it's M I M O. It stands okay. for multiple in, multiple out, and basically that's the difference of having stereo hearing. So if you're able to increase the yep. sound to both ears, you're able to triangulate the sound better and take it in. What a booster does is it's basically shutting off one ear and putting a huge amplifier, a megaphone in the other ear. And those of us who live in small spaces with our spouses especially know that yelling really loud at our spouse is not necessarily the best way to get our (laughs) message across. Right. So that's why that's why these these simple little Mimo antennas, if your hotspot's got the dual antenna ports, can outperform a booster in a lot of cases other than the most long range cases. So mm-hmm. once you get really, really out there, then the booster can start to, to, to pull ahead. And what um, really makes a booster really show its strength is an upload capacity. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, so what a booster does, is it not, it's not only increasing the signal from the tower to you, it's increasing the signal that you're sending back to the tower, mm-hmm. which is really important when you're far from the tower. If you're doing a video conference like we're doing yeah. right here, behind the scenes or if you're doing a, a uploading a lot of video or or any sort of broadcast upload matters so much more than download in that point and um that's where yep. the booster can really help so yeah when you're further from towers boosters make a lot more sense but when you're medium range to a tower the antennas can be the, amazing. the antennas yeah. tend to, to perform a lot better gotcha like what's the most common mess up that people have when it comes to mobile internet is it not diversifying Oh. I think it's it's those those uh we get questions all the time. Someone's out in the middle of of nowhere, or they've gotten to their campground, and 
they get there and they discover that they have no internet options. And I think one of the biggest mess ups that people make is they don't do research. If mobile internet is important to you, is not doing the research in advance before you make that campground reservation or you get to the spot that you haven't checked in advance to see what the mobile internet connectivity is going to be like. Mm -hmm. And that is as much as, as important as it is having the tools on board to make the best of the situation. Um, do your homework in advance. The other mistake a lot of people make is just not really understanding their plans. Or, you know, getting a getting a plan that has limited data or it you know, doesn't really work for the way that they're going to be using data. And you know, sometimes people with just a few few tweaks to their plan, sometimes even saving money, they are like suddenly, oh, you know, I don't have to watch everything on my phone anymore. I can use my laptop and I can I can stream to my big TV and stuff like that. And yeah. you know, it's it's people get so confused because the carriers really don't make this easy. You know, we're not the target market for for anything that they're trying to sell right now. Yeah, and you, and y'all's app coverage will let people know when they're boondocking where they can uh, get solved reception from uh, AT and T or Verizon or any of the other carriers, right? Right, right. So we created that app many many years ago to help us find coverage in our own travels. Uh, it actually downloads the carriers' maps to your phone, and you can overlay them. So if you're carrying AT and T and Verizon. You can have see both of the carriers maps at the same time, and then you can you know put in your campground and just see what you can expect there. Now they are from the carriers maps, which we all know the carriers maps can Sometimes be op optimistic. They're part marketing, but we typically found that if you have signal enhancing antennas and or boosters, um, that you can usually find the signal that the carriers think they have there. <laughs> that they think they have there. I love. I mean, it seems like every time I reach out and talk to you guys, y'all are updating your guide. So I know that you stay on top of this all the time. And I'm always impressed by the thoroughness that you guys have. Like a lot of times I'm reading your emails and I'm like, I don't even know half the stuff y'all are saying, but I know how much work probably goes into making sure how... <laughs> Uh, you know, you guys are really helping people who are out on the road with the internet. So y'all are doing a great job. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. It's our, it's our passion <laughs> that we found something in our career that combined the travel that we love with the technology that we love and with helping people. So it's a passion project for sure. Yeah. And that we get to be funded by the very community right. that we're serving is means yeah. the world to us. That because, uh, yeah, we chose to be member supported instead of being supported by the businesses and sponsors and stuff like that. And so that makes us answerable to the members as opposed to, you know, whoever company wants to pay us a bigger affiliate or something. Yeah. So t talk a little bit about RV mobile internet and what people can get uh, whenever they sign up. Well, number one, RV mobile internet has a bunch of free content. Yeah. So if you want to get started with your research, go to rvmobileinternet.com slash overview. And you got a free guide that explains using Wi-Fi at campgrounds, using cellular and the satellite options that are out there. And that's all free. And we have a bunch of free content. Our news center is free. So when we come out with an article tracking a new plan or a new device, all that information is completely free. And we have very little advertising on the site yeah. as well. But uh, we are member supported. And so we have a premium membership. We call them our mobile internet aficionados <laughs> or MIAs. We like also uh, missing an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, and that goes further. And we've really designed that, um, number one, to support the resource center so we can continue to create the free content. But it goes deeper. So you get our in-depth reviews of the equipment and plans that we're tracking. We have Q&A forums for answering questions. Yeah. yeah, we'll do interactive video chats with our members. There's a, a very active um, members-only forum. And then we actually oftentimes get sneak previews of stuff that we can get permission from companies to talk about it to our members long before it's public knowledge. So some, sometimes our members have gotten like six months 
of uh, you know heads up this new product is coming you might want to you know wait wait and, wait, wait, wait and buy and this like and stuff mm. like that and then uh, we also do an alert a special alert newsletter so when we know that there is a plan that's coming on the market or it's a limited time offer our members are in the know and we give them a take action now alert <laughs> go um, go buy this <laughs> so like on this last eight, round of AT&T potentially no longer allowing their unlimited hotspots our members had two weeks notice before our story even went yeah. live. And when the whole Mobley craze happened, like our members, I remember you guys Mobley. posting about it. Yeah. Yeah. Our members had way early heads up on how to get a Mobley, how to get this amazing $20 AT&T unlimited plan. And um, they had a heads up when we started to suspect it was going to be retired because right. we have our ears to the ground. We're in a lot of the geeky forums and, <laughs> And Reddit and places, and we're constantly monitoring yeah, yeah. three or four times a day, looking for any leaks and information. And, and yeah, we have out. a couple off-the-record sources and stuff, <laughs> so we kind of know what's going on in the, the mobile industry pretty well. Yeah, I love it. Uh, kind of zooming out for a second from mobile internet, and we'll link up to all those resources in the show notes. Is I ask this on every podcast, but how do you guys find uh, success? Define success in this lifestyle as y'all are now going from RVing to boat life and going to be doing the great loop and continuing to provide awesome resources and RV mobile internet. I think success is being happy yeah. with what you, what, with your life. And... Yeah. And just, yeah, I, and, and being able to keep mixing it up, you know, not getting stuck in ruts. And, you know, that's certainly, that's part of our, like, let's, let's change this up. Let's do boats. Let's do other fun adventures and, being um, defined by your own terms, not yeah. others. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. Thanks. Fabulous to be here. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to that episode with Chris and Tree. Make sure to go say hi to them at Technomadia. And thank you guys so much for continuing to listen to this podcast. And thanks to WeBoost for supporting today's episode. If you want to check out Alyssa's guide on Amazon, you can go to heathandalyssa.com forward slash guide to buy a beginner's guide to living in an RV. I'll see you guys next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. 